Our scripture reading this morning is uh, the book of Acts, 12th chapter. Uh, By God's grace, we will uh, read uh, verses uh, 18 to 25. So the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 12, uh, beginning in the 18th verse down to the end of the chapter. And when the day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards in order that they be led away to execution. He went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. With one accord they came to him, and having one over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, They were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed time, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and was eaten by worms and he died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we know from the immediate context, Acts chapter 12, uh, James the Apostle has been put to death. Peter's been arrested, so there are challenging times the first century church, but no less in our day. Always challenging times. Uh, I define the challenging times of Acts 12 and in our own day as the tribulation. But we need to know that uh, opposition to the church will, will fail and the word of God will always triumph. Opposition will eventually fail. And the word of God will always triumph. And we learn uh, that in the text this morning because an angel of the Lord takes Herod out as a threat and the word advances. On a grand scale, of course, uh, kingdoms are in conflict. Uh, There are winners and losers. Luke is going to teach us that all idolaters will lose. uh, But the faithful allies of God will always win just a matter of time for winners and losers. Uh, But of course, uh, one of the things that we must take away from our text this morning is that idolatry is uh, fatal and terminal. And Herod is about to learn just that. It's a reminder of uh, the words of the psalmist, uh, uh, Psalm 16.4. Continual reminder of the scriptures in light of the continuing uh, threat of idolatry that sometimes even uh, comes into the church. Uh, So the psalmist tells us in uh, Psalm 16:4 that the sorrows of those who have chased for another God will be multiplied. They will never end. And Herod is about to learn that. So we begin by looking in verses 18 to 23 of a failed man in a failed endeavor. Uh, 
uh, as an angel of the Lord takes out Herod as a threat to the church. Again, the historic uh, setting is the killing of James, the arrest and rescue of Peter. Uh, there's a large uh, commotion among the soldiers as to what has happened. Uh, when Peter cannot be found, the guards are executed. And then Herod goes to Caesarea. Uh, there is a controversy uh, between uh, Herod and the citizens of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, those two cities were on the northern coast of the, of the Mediterranean. Uh, but because they were dependent on economic relationship with Herod, uh, they want peace and secure the services of Herod's uh, personal attendant. This is seemingly a very harmless detail, but I'm not so sure it's so harmless. It's an illustration that this powerful man, Herod, uh, was manipulated by his underlings uh, and by the citizens of Tyre and Sidon. On the occasion of uh, public address, Herod uh, puts on his royal robes, the New American Standard reads. Uh, one of the commentators uh, suggests that uh, the robe was, uh, was fashioned out of something like silver uh, droplets that uh, uh, reflected mightily in the sun. Uh, and he, uh, he takes his seat in the bima, uh, and uh, delivering an address, uh, the citizens begin to shout out the voice of a god and not a man. Uh, and uh, at that point, Herod uh, crosses another line in his life. I suspect he had crossed it years earlier. But he crosses another line. He accepts their accolades, accolades pardon me, which is an act of idolatry. And immediately an angel of the Lord, the text reads, struck him because he did not give God the glory, verse 23. Of course, you and I know that uh, judgment is not always immediate, uh, but it's always terminal when it comes. It's always fatal. There's no recovery from it when it comes. Uh, it's a reminder that... Uh, our hope in life as Christians is that our judgment, which we so richly deserve, fell and was vented against our Savior. So it will not come nigh us because of the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a beckon of uh, reminder to those who are outside of the Savior that judgment will one day come and it will be fatal and terminal. But the hope of the church is we have a Savior who took our judgment upon Himself. It also illustrates that civil rulers owe their accomplishments to divine providence. We're taught that everywhere in the Scriptures. Uh, little do they reckon uh, when they uh, claim the accolades, uh, accolades uh, as uh, Herod does, as uh, being worthy of, uh, of their work and their accomplishments. New American Standard uh, reads that, uh, that he died. But the Greek text says literally he breathed his last. Uh, that very phrase is used uh, in Acts chapter 5 uh, on two occasions, verse 5 and verse 10 of Ananias and uh, Sapphira. Uh, they lied to the Spirit. Uh, they wanted uh, accolades of praise from the church. Uh, and so 
how they engage in fraud. They did not have to do what they did, but once they did it, they shouldn't have lied about it to gain the accolades uh, of the church uh, for themselves. And so they breathe their last. Herod's demise is swift. He has no protection from the angels of God, none whatsoever. They're dispatched from the heavenly throne. When God sends them, they accomplish their work as the messenger of God. And there's no protection when they come in judgment. Uh, he gets no mercy uh, because uh, receiving the accolades uh, of men that is uh, due God uh, is a terminal and fatal condition. May not be immediate, but when it comes, uh, it is fatal and terminal. And uh, this is a this is a reminder or a harbinger of the fate of all idolaters. Uh, very interesting to me that the verb, uh, the verb strike, when the angel of the Lord uh, strikes Herod, that same verb is used in Revelation 19.15. Uh, it's a reference to the second coming of our Savior. And we read, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. It's an allusion to the second psalm, Psalm 2. He is the appointed regent of God himself. And uh, he will destroy those who do not bow before him and accept him. It may come early, it may come late, but when it comes, it is fatal and terminal. When you go the way of Herod, you lose sooner or later. There are many occasions like this in the scriptures. I'd like to recount a couple of them because they all have an attachment to idolatry. And in my own mind, idolatry is one of the sub-themes of the book of Acts. It's not a major theme, but it's an important theme. In 1 Kings, Ahab assumes a divine prerogative and takes the life of Naboth. He also takes his vineyard. Uh, of course, he had no right to do either, but he usurps a divine prerogative. God gave the, the land and the vineyard to Damboth. Uh, and he could never give it to anyone else. Uh, uh, the king uh, asked him to give him his land, and he could not because of divine sanction. Uh, God gave them the land, and they could never give it up or give it away and so it should never be taken from them. And when he does that, Elijah comes to him, the prophet of God, to speak the word of God to him. 1 Kings 21, 19. Elijah says to Ahab, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, in the place where you, the dogs lip, licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick up your blood, even yours. At that point, his uh, act of uh, idolatry in self-love, in claiming what belonged to another man, and in taking his life which belonged to God, uh, 
becomes a terminal and fatal sentence of death upon him. The question is, will it occur? That's what the world says, does it not? Well, it's, it's the word of God. It won't happen to me. Yes, word of God. So, so Elijah says it. Kind of wonder if Ahab ever uh, grew restless when he heard dogs bark. But nonetheless, uh, war comes between Israel and Syria. Ahab goes out to battle. Uh, the account is chapter 22, verse 34. Now a certain man drew his bow at random. You and I know that nothing is at random. But he drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor. In other words, he takes no aim. He just pulls out an arrow from his quiver and uh, strings it to his bow and uh, points it in the air and shoots. And in the providence of God, in the guidance of God, it's an arrow that's directed exactly to a joint in the armor that the king is wearing. That God controlled the flight of the arrow and it struck the king. I don't know if you know it or not, uh, I suspect not, but there's a very famous sermon on this text uh, delivered by a Baptist preacher in the city of Memphis. He's no longer alive, but his name was R.G. Lee. The name of the sermon is, is uh, quite unique. Payday someday. It's based upon this text. This nameless, aimless archer fires an arrow into the air and it falls uh, upon the king according to the word of God and the prophet Elijah. Payday someday. Not if or maybe. Not whether you believe it or not or you can wish it away. The certainty, the irrevocableness of it Payday is coming to those who become idolaters and violate the word of God. When the Assyrians uh, invaded Israel in 2 Kings, 2 Kings 19, Hezekiah prays, uh, verses 15 uh, to 19. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, God of Israel, who are throned in heaven, maker of heaven and earth, Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes and see and listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he sent as a reproach to the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, which were not gods, but the work of men's hands of wood and stone, so have destroyed them. And now, O Lord God, I pray, Deliver us from the hand of all the kingdoms of the earth and that they may know that Thou alone art Lord and God. Now Isaiah the prophet goes to him and tells him he will be spared and that Shennacherib will lose. 
Idolaters always lose. It's just a matter of when. When the paymaster comes to deliver the pay. So in verse 35 and 37, again in 2 Kings 19, that it happened in the night that the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home. And he lived in Nineveh. It came about as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrak, his god, that Edra, Melech, and Sherezer killed him with a sword, and they escaped into the land of Arad. How'd that happen? It happened according to the word of the Lord. His act of idolatry, uh, the bill came due, and God paid him off. In Ezekiel, the king of Tyre is uh, reproached for his idolatry. If you have your Old Testament, uh, if you'll turn to Ezekiel, uh, chapter 28. Here the idolatry is uh, very brazen. Uh, Ezekiel 28.2 Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, thus says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God. Because your heart is lifted up and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods in the heart of the seas. Yet you are a man and not God although you make your heart like the heart of God. So the king assumes a divine prerogative, and that's dangerous ground, by comparing himself to God. By the way, there is tragically an allusion to Genesis chapter 3. Eve buys into the proposition that uh, she can become like God. And again, it's dangerous ground. Tyre falls. Adam and Eve are driven out of the garden. Thankfully, in God's grace, he provides a sacrifice for them. By God's grace, there was a sacrifice for them. Reminded to us that each and every day, and living in a world that's filled with idolatry, It's God's grace that keeps us safe. In Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar throws a party. And he uses the sacred temple vessels confiscated by his forefather, Nebuchadnezzar. He throws a big party. He profanes what is sacred. Now let's turn to one chapter removed from Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 5. It's very likely, uh, some commentators suggest, it's not so implicit in the text, that he's really throwing a large prayer meeting because he knows his kingdom is in danger and he profanes the God of Israel, thereby exalting his own gods that, that he thinks will keep him safe. Daniel chapter uh, 5, uh, verses 4 and 6. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. 
Suddenly, the fingers of a man hand emerge and begin writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack. It's really more picturesque that in the Hebrew text. Uh, uh, he, uh, he, he literally uh, loses control over his bowels. Fear has, has caught him. Uh, he senses payday is near. And his knees begin knocking together. He summons, uh, he summons Daniel. It's very interesting when he, when he summons Daniel because uh, Daniel's been around for a long time now. How is it that Daniel has been able to stay around? Because he trusted God, uh, the Lord, the Creator, the Governor of the universe, because he was faithful to God. Uh, even though he was threatened time and time again, uh, we know that from this biographical section, Daniel's uh, chapter 1, he stays around because God keeps him around, because God protects his own. Uh, and Daniel rebukes him for his idolatry. Imagine what courage that took. Reminder that you and I as Christians encounter idolatry all the time. I suspect sometimes you're like me, you, you remain silent. We, we should be careful, we should be courageous. Idolatry is a very dangerous terminal disease. And payday will eventually come. The Scriptures are teaching us that as we go through these different verses. It cannot be averted. The angel of the Lord cannot be withheld, restrained, or kept uh, except by God in His grace. Daniel chapter uh, 5, uh, verses uh, 23 uh, to 25 uh, is, uh, is the account of... of uh, of the payday that comes, the terminal event now manifests itself, and Daniel interprets what is written on the wall by, by the hand. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, irons, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and your ways, you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and his inscription was written out. Now this is the inscription that was written out. Many, many tinkle up. Asarin. This is the interpretation of the message. Many. God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. And so... The fatal and terminal judgment 
or falls upon him. Uh, the reference here of many, many Tekel and Uparsarin are Babylonian weightstones. So Belshazzar is weighed in God's balance and found wanting. Daniel interprets the message essentially that uh, God has weighed his kingdom and put an end to it. He has weighed the emperor and found him deficient. He thought he was a heavyweight. He's a lightweight when it comes to dealing with God as an idolater. He's wanting. His kingdom is divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 30, that very night he's killed. That very night he's killed. The fatality uh, of idolatry descends upon him. And it's fatal. And it's also final. By the way, it's very interesting. Uh, one of uh, Daniel's implicit messages he should have humbled himself because he took what was God's, the vessels of the temple, and profaned them. He desecrated them. And that is a theme all throughout the scriptures of, uh, of men desecrating what is profane. You and I know it in my own mind in the American church that uh, men come and profane the scriptures. They come as false teachers and they spin deception. They desecrate what is sacred. This in a measure is their instate. They will be weighed and found wanting. They think they're heavyweights and they're lightweights. It's an implicit reminder. No, it's an explicit reminder to all of us that in this day that's full of pride, we should be humble. Humble before God, knowing that life comes from Him. We owe each and every day and each and every breath to His grace. We owe all of our good blessings, and they are manifold, to His good grace. And we owe our position in Jesus Christ to His sovereign grace, because apart from Him, we would have never, never come to faith. Humility is principal virtue. Belshazzar flunks. He's weighed. He's a lightweight. That very night, his life is taken. The agent, of course, in Daniel 5 is not specified. Maybe it was an enemy soldier under Darius, but ultimately, who was the, who was the uh, agent that took his life? It was God. Dispatched angels, I'm sure, uh, or motivated this insurrection or the invasion forces uh, took his life. My favorite uh, encounter of the of the fatalness of, uh, of idolatry and that it's so terminal is also found in the prophetic section of Daniel. He foretells of uh, the coming of Antiochus Epiphanes who will do great harm to Daniel's countrymen to, among other things, deceive them into thinking that they can violate their covenant with God without consequence. By the way, that's a that theme of lawlessness is present, we know, in the American church even today. The Apostle Paul tells us the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And that too is a fatal and final disease. 
Daniel tells us how it will end for Antiochus. Let me read to you Daniel chapter 8, or if you want to turn there, verse 25. And through his shrewdness he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence, and he will magnify himself in his heart, and he will destroy many while they are at ease, and he will even oppose the prince of princes, but he will be broken without human agency. Let me read that phrase again. He will be broken without human agency. That means God is going to get him. God will come for him. And it will be terminal. And there will be no recovery whatsoever. You take what belongs to God. The ground you're walking upon is profoundly dangerous and shifting. And eventually it will open and get you. Very interesting, is it not? Uh, there's an implicit warning here for the church in America today. For all of us as Christians. Again, Daniel 8.25. Uh, he will destroy many while they are at ease. Sometimes we get full of ourselves. Sometimes we think, well, the, the crops will always come in. Eat, drink, and marry, and take my ease. One should be very careful walking upon such ground with such confessions. Uh, Satan sometimes uh, makes us fat for the day of slaughter. Reminder again of uh, one of the continuing refrains in all of Scripture, walk humbly before God. And so we know from Daniel chapter 8 and verse 25 that God is going to get him. Let's read how it occurs in Daniel chapter 11, verse 45. He, it's again a reference, I believe, to Antiochus Epiphanes. There are some commentators that take it as a reference to the Antichrist. I just simply take it as a reference to Antiochus for a number of reasons, but they're not important this morning. And he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas in a beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. It means, of course, implicitly that his gods, the gods of gold and silver, wood and stone, uh, that are fashioned by men who cannot speak, who cannot talk, who cannot hear, who cannot understand, they cannot help him. They are impotent when judgment comes upon the fatal terminal disease of idolatry, upon the flowering of the fullness of pride. Destruction comes and there is no one to help Antiochus when the judgment comes. His gods will fail him. They will always fail mankind because there's only one true God, the living God, the living true God, the God of heaven and earth, the God who is the creator, the God to whom alone belong the accolades of majesty, divinity, and greatness, and grandeur throughout all time. His gods fail him, as they always will. Very interesting, is it not, that we've had a couple of readings in the text of gods in gold and silver. 
It's a reminder that uh, we should be very careful. Uh, I understand we have to earn and make a living, and uh, I, I know you're not paid in gold, or I don't think you are. You're probably not paid in silver either, but the point is be very careful. Your paycheck ultimately comes from God. He will provide. Wait upon the Lord. Trust in the Lord every day, every moment. Look to Him without fail. And of course, He will never fail. It's idolaters that will fail. And their failure is final and terminal. In the case of Herod, returning now back to Acts chapter 12, the text reads, he is eaten by worms. This is a uh, allusion to the final verse of the final chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 24. Then they shall go forth and look on the corpses of men who have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all mankind. Very interesting is the context of this verse, very striking. It's that the new Israel is recovered for her original purpose in the new creation that is, of course, perpetual, verses 20 to 23 of Isaiah 66. And they will worship God. And on their way, they will pass a cemetery. And Isaiah 66, verse 24, is that cemetery. The imagery of perpetual punishment. They're reminded of the end of all of idolatry. They pass the cemetery by to go to worship the one true God. And this lowest of life forms will have dominion over the idolaters forever and ever world without end. Very interesting, is it not, that you and I catch something of a, of a theme in the Scripture in the reading of Psalm 91 that you and I will trample upon the cobra and the serpent. We will ultimately prevail in the, in the battle against the great serpent. And the worms will not have dominion over us because God rescues us in Jesus Christ. Our joy, our salvation will be fatal, will, pardon me, will be terminal in terms of everlasting salvation because of the goodness and mercy of our Savior. Sovereign mercy, sovereign grace. Very interesting in terms of Isaiah 66, 24. It's quoted by Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verse 48. Imagery likely from the Hinnom Valley garbage dump outside Jerusalem it was a metaphor for hell. The fires never went out. Perpetual reminder that you and I walk by cemeteries. I understand we'll die barring the coming of the Savior. Perhaps we'll be buried in a cemetery. But we'll not remain there. God will recover us. And we will perpetually remember the end of the idolaters. 
and the mercy of Jesus who rescued us and who made us new. Think about it, driving by a cemetery next time you drive by one. All who are in Christ will be rescued. None will be lost. We will ultimately prevail because of the victory of our Savior. We, we own that victory because He owns us. We, we should never forget it. We should always walk in perpetual humility, looking, looking to Him. Reminder that uh, the grace of God imputes to us the merits of the obedience of Jesus Christ as the sole basis for our salvation. And he grants his spirit to lead us and to guide us and to grow us up in a personal holiness that we might be different. Uh, that we might be different than the Herods of the world because God makes us different in his grace. So the text also reminds us that, uh, that we're also uh, struck by angels. Uh, of course, it's, it's, in, it's in the context of uh, returning back to Acts chapter 12. Uh, Acts chapter 12 and uh, verse 7. Uh, Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and light shone in the cell and he struck Peter's side. Same agent, same verb, but different outcome. Herod is taken, perpetual ruin. Peter is struck and uh, is uh, gained for continued service for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this happens again over and over again in the scriptures in different ways, different times, different venues. One of my favorite is Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. Enoch walked with God. And he was not. So what happened to him? Who got him? Did Satan or God? Well, here are the text. Enoch walked with God. And he was not. For God took him. Every time one precious soul that's in Jesus Christ leaves this world, for a man or the woman who has faith in Jesus Christ and who walked with God by the power of the Spirit, when they die, they are not. And God takes them. The mercy of God. Not so of Herod. Not so of Antiochus. Jude 9, there's an argument over, over the body of Moses. Satan wants him. The angel just simply says, the Lord rebuke you. Doesn't have to argue with him or wrestle over it. The Lord rebuke you. Moses belonged to God. He was not. And God took him. Again, perpetual reminder to me of one of the great doxologies of the New Testament. 
Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. How is it that we have uh, protection and ability to walk faithfully? To be humble before God. Every day. Sometimes we fail, but we're reminded we get up and we move onward. Uh, because of Him who is able to keep us from slipping. All who are outside of Christ will slip. It will be fatal and terminal. No recovery. So we have uh, we've looked at a failed man, Herod, in a failed endeavor. Uh, we have uh, we've looked at God's men very quickly uh, in God's endeavors. Let's, uh, let's look at uh, the majesty of, of the endeavor of God in Acts chapter 12. Uh, this account of the death of Herod uh, uh, becomes known. So Acts chapter 12, read verses 23 and 24. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the Lord and he was eaten by worms and died where he breathed his last. But, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. The Lord in his word continues to grow and be multiplied. It's the contrast of the failed endeavor of Herod and his idolatry and the successful endeavors of God that cannot be stopped. The Word of God continues to grow and be multiplied. The Word of God cannot be stopped. Uh, the two verbs in, that I've just read to you from in this text are, are used again. I've cited this text on a number of occasions, but it's important to, to look at them again. Uh, the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. But the word of the Lord kept on spreading, kept on growing, and the number of the disciples continued to increase, increase or multiply. Kings cannot stop it. Emperors cannot stop it. Herod certainly cannot stop it because he's swept away. It's our endeavor. It's a successful endeavor. It cannot be stopped. All over the world, uh, governments and uh, false and deceptive religion are trying to stop it, but they will fail. They will come to the end of Herod. Angels will get them. It's a failure that's uh, fatal and terminal. It's a reminder to us implicitly to give your heart to the Word of God, to its reading, to its devotion, uh, to its application in your life, and to speaking it in the public square to those who traffic in idolatry and give their hearts to other gods, having been reminded that their sorrows will be multiplied and they will come to an end ordained by God and it will be fatal and terminal. This is how the Christian wins. By allying themselves with the Word of God. The endeavor that cannot be stopped, the word of the Lord, will continue to grow and be multiplied. 
I'm not unmindful that in our age of apostasy, we may, we may think that it's losing ground. It's simply accomplishing its purposes. It's the theology of Isaiah 55, 11. Uh, the word of the Lord cannot be denied. We'll accomplish the purposes of God in your heart and in the world. So beckon some is to give your heart to the word of God, to learn it, to know it, to practice it, to live it, to apply it, and as I've suggested in the public square, to be bold and to speak it and witness for Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, come to the Savior. It's the only place of safety. Commentators tell us there's no safety from Him, only in Him. Ally yourself with the eternal Word. It will win and you will win with it. And all who are allied with it will come to a righteous and victorious end. There's another psalm I'd like to uh, remind you of uh, because we, we do live in a dangerous, uh, challenging time. Psalm 37. David says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of them. Now notice the language. They will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Psalm 1 says that you and I will flower. Our, our tree will not wither. And we will prosper in all that we do. Reminder that the grass withers and the flower fades. All flesh is the grass. It will fade, but the Word of God is forever. So Herod is taken. There's no one to help him. But the angels will guard you. Whatever predicaments befall you in the tribulations of life, you too will be rescued. Jesus will send them. He's your perpetual help from beginning to end. In the day of his own choosing and the sovereignty of God, he will come for you as well. If your body's in the grave, he will reclaim you. If you are alive, he will catch you up to be with him. Your end is blessedness forever and ever, world without end. So idolaters will lose. And those who trust in Jesus Christ and the eternal God of heaven have won in him and will always win. And to borrow out of context the refrain of the great preacher, R.G. Lee, our eternal payday will come too. And what a day it will be.